Welcome back to the Beyond Macros podcast, a show where we teach you how to get leaner and perform your best through nutrition, training, and the art of inner work. Today is going to be our first Beyond Macros uncut episode, where I'm just going to let the interview roll with minimal editing. So let me know what you think about this different format. This show is brought to you by us, and we want you to know about our free guide to calculating and counting your macros. We just updated it for 2018 to include a helpful how-to video, new research, and even a metric system conversion, considering a third of you are listening from outside the U.S. You can go to beyondmacros.com slash macropod to see the full post and download your free calorie and macro calculator worksheet today. Here is what longtime Beyond Macros client Chris Walrath has to say about his experience. And yes, he also happens to be my dad. He started with Beyond Macros at age 58 following a double hip replacement surgery, and I am super grateful to Coach Ray for guiding him over the last two years. I had been doing CrossFit for several years, but felt like I had peaked. I wasn't getting stronger, and I didn't have a great deal of energy. I changed my eating habits when I started CrossFit, but really wasn't getting the results I thought I should be getting. I didn't keep track of what I ate each day and I had an attitude of, it really doesn't matter what I eat as long as I keep exercising. When I started the Beyond Macros program, I had entered all my food into my fitness pal. And when you see the nutrition value of what you eat, it really makes you accountable. I started to care about what I was eating, at first just to, so I could meet my daily macros goal. And after that, because I started to feel better, I gained more energy and even looked better. After three months on the Beyond Macros program, my weight was unchanged, which was my goal. But I lost over two inches on my waist and chest, which are really in two spots. I tend to store my fat. My cholesterol has dropped 40 points since starting Beyond Macros, with my good cholesterol staying the same or better. Beginning this January, my coach adjusted my macros and the timing of the macros for my CrossFit workouts to really help further my energy levels, to maintain strength, and to lean out. I had a three-month follow-up scan recently, and my body fat percentage dropped over two percentage points, which puts me in the lowest part of the lean category. I am ecstatic. The statistics are all great, and the physical changes massage my ego, but the thing I like most about Beyond Macros is that it's totally changed the way I look at food and the benefits. It has changed my life, and I'm forever grateful. I started Beyond Macros with a short-term goal, and now I can't imagine going back to the way I used to eat. To get started on your journey for free, go to beyondmacros.com slash macropod for our full macro counting guide. One of my primary goals with every client that I work with is to undo whatever aloneness that they've had with their intense emotions. And so when they're out in the, in the world feeling an intense emotion, I want them to feel like they are accompanied, not just by me psychically, but that they're accompanied by an older, grounded, stable adult self that can be with that kid self who maybe didn't have someone to accompany them with feelings that were overwhelming when they were a kid. That was Dr. Megan Caden co-creator of the Art and Science of Connection. She has her own private psychology practice and also works with the coaches at her husband Marcus Philly's gym, Revival Strength. We explored the art of connection with Mizbo last season. And today, we get to explore some of the science of connection. 
and how to effectively process emotions, including how Dr. Megan helps clients transition lessons from the session room out into the real world. First things first, Dr. Megan utilizes a psychology modality called AEDP. A quick description of AEDP is that it is a way of working with clients where we use whatever is most present for them in the moment, emotionally, and we follow that emotion to its natural end point. And by doing that, we both build our relationship and we help that person access their intrinsic drive to transform. Got it. And how do you implement that in your personal practice? And then how does that maybe differ from how you implement it in working with the coaches at Revival Strength? Yeah. So um, when you say my personal practice, you mean my, my, my work with clients? Yeah, exactly. I thought you meant it maybe in my own life because there's they're inner too. Um, so my work with clients, one of the, the first ways that I start with somebody whether it's the, our first session or whether it's our 50th session, is I ask them to take a moment to connect with what is most salient or alive for them in that moment. So it might be uh, a sensation that they have. It might be a feeling. It might be a thought. It might be something that just happened. The, the, it's kind of a question of what are you walking in the door with? What's with you right now? And whatever is with that person in that moment is where we start. And that's what's always most powerful for people. And this is also how I work with the coaches at Revival Strength also, is using whatever is most alive in any given moment, if we're in the coaches meeting or if we're in a one-on-one meeting, and following that that aliveness to what matters to them. And um, the way that emotion, and I'm sure you heard this in the uh, Airborne Mind podcast, but emotion, the way that it works for humans is that we are hardwired to feel these six core emotions and that whether the emotion is comfortable or uncomfortable, or if we've labeled it as positive or negative, no matter what our experience is with that emotion, it, it is serving a function for us to transform into our best self. So that that feeling is serving a positive function, whether or not the experience of that feeling is positive or negative. So I, I, with my clients, I like to give ample space and time to track those emotions as closely as we can. And it's something that most of us rarely do in our day-to-day life because we kind of move pretty quickly, most of us. And we skip over a lot of the steps that humans need to actually follow that emotion all the way to its endpoint. Got it. And how do you help people within the session follow that emotion or track that emotion? And is that something that you encourage them to then take some time in their day-to-day life outside the session to really bring that awareness into? Yeah, absolutely. So really everything that I do with a client in a session is something that they can then do outside in their life. So if, if I don't see an application for something that we were talking about or working on in a session to how it's going to actually make their life outside of the session better, it's not usually worth our time. So one of the ways that we work on tracking emotion in a session is by slowing down and noticing how 
first labeling an emotion. So identifying how, how the person is feeling, them identifying how they're feeling, attaching an actual language to that. And, um, and then starting to process how it feels to say that to me, how it feels to notice that feeling. How does that feel? How do they know that feeling when it shows up in their system? What are the physical markers, what are the temperature markers? What are the, um, what happens to their heart rate when they notice that they feel sad? What happens to the, the, their skin? Sort of to track their whole body to look for the indicators that communicate to their brain that they are feeling sad or they're feeling angry or they're feeling scared or whatever the emotion is. Got it. I love it. So once you've gotten to that point where you've tracked and labeled the emotion, what do you do with that? Or what do you have the client do with that? I don't see it as my job to have them do something with it. It's to see what their natural inclination is with that emotion. And normally, and that's something that's built into us as humans. It's not something that I have to make happen. It's something that we are, are neurobiologically wired for. So if we just sit with a feeling and see what happens in that person's body as they track that feeling, there's always something that organically happens. And it might be that they realize something that they haven't realized. It might be that they have some random image pop into their head of uh, a memory that they haven't ever remembered before. Or it could be... Um, uh, a sound or a song, or it, it could be all over the map. But by, by tracking whatever is true in that given moment, it, it takes us somewhere that will lead that person to something that they have to maybe it's take action on or uh, communicate to somebody else. Or it, And I see my job as one where I am accompanying this this person as they are tracking themselves closely and I'm tracking them as they're, as they're tracking themselves. So they're not doing it alone. And that's something that is, um, for most of us is pretty new. I think a lot of us by the time we've gotten to adulthood have gone through more aloneness than has felt good. And to be able to have someone there who is, who is paying attention as closely and who, who cares so deeply about slowing down enough to track each of these little minute changes is it can really fill a need that I, I think a lot of us crave. I don't know if you do relate to any of that. Personally. Yeah, I definitely do. And especially it's funny because one of the things that came up for me is when we were at this mastermind, uh, one of the artists who, uh, who was joining us, he had us do a sit down and listening party for an album that he had just created and just finished doing the pre-masters on. And he kind of prefaced it and let us know that this album, uh, he didn't tell us what the story was, but it told the story of an emotional journey. And I really just sat down and sat with the music and allowed it to essentially bring up an overtone. And then that kind of linked to an emotion, which linked to a story for me. And it was wild how just listening to this album was such almost a healing process for me. Um, because some of the songs definitely were sitting with emotions that might be uncomfortable. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's the most recent, um, recent memory and experience that this is, uh, tying to for me. Wow. What a cool example. It's like just by slowing down and giving yourself this chance to just listen to that piece of music, you got to have a full emotional 
wave flow through you. Exactly. And it was a really beautiful, beautiful process. It sounds like it. So I'm curious, I love stories and I'm curious what your story is in terms of how you found ADP and like, how did it help you and why did, how did that lead you down the path of having this be the tool that you use to help other people? So first heard about ADP when I was still in grad school and I went to, I think it was a weekend seminar that was in Marin. I I lived in Oakland at the time and Marin was kind of this like far off place where I hadn't really spent any time at all. Now I live there. But so I went to this, went to this weekend workshop and um, I saw a therapist do a live demonstration on stage with a couple that was, that he had been working with in his private practice. And he, this is a real couple. This was a, a real session that he was doing with the couple in front of an audience, which was something that I had never seen before a live therapy session. And he was using this approach called ADP for couples. And I was completely blown away at what I saw. I I, I felt like I saw this couple transform, even, you know, in a small way, but transform right before my eyes on stage, which was, it looked magical to me. It looked like he had just performed some magic trick and this couple was walking out of that training with a deeper connection than what they walked in with. And they were walking in with some major problems. They were kind of working through some infidelity and they were really at a crisis point. And it was absolutely remarkable to me. And it was, uh, I said to myself, I'm going to work with that therapist at some point. And I had a number of of many hoops to jump through to finish my doctorate and to get through that whole process and to get licensed as a therapist. And so it was many, many years later after I was licensed that I was now living in Marin and um, found out that that therapist that I saw on stage was actually practicing in Marin, which I didn't know at the the time. And I thought, I'm going to work with that guy. And... um, so I ended up um, referring actually a number of my clients to him to work with him in uh, couples therapy. And he and I started collaborating and um, kind of doing a coordinated therapy with um, our mutual clients. And so that was kind of my first uh, experience with AEDP, but I didn't know anything about it yet. I hadn't started the whole training process. And so through him, I got connected to this whole AEDP community and to the AEDP Institute and learned that there was a whole many multi-year long training process. And I started going through that process at that point. So it was kind of many, many years in, in the making that I had my, my eye on this particular approach. That's awesome. And did you have an experience where it had helped you personally uh, that led you to this? Or was it just seeing that on stage and seeing that profound transformation that really drew you to it? So I kind of forgot about ADP at some point in my in my graduate training, because there were just so many other demands and so many other other things that I had to accomplish before I could even choose that I was going to study this particular approach. You know, I had to finish my dissertation. I had to get licensed before I could. I had the freedom to pursue something like this. So it it kind of fell off my radar for a little while, and then um, it wasn't until I was in private practice and working in Marin that I that I remembered this approach. And 
So it was at that point, and this was in the early stages of my relationship with Marcus, um, I said, we, we got to find an AADP therapist because I knew that I needed to have my own experience with an ADP practitioner as a client in order to actually become adept at, at using this approach with my clients. So we started seeing an ADP therapist for couples. And, um, and actually just recently in the past six months, I found my own, um, ADP th- individual therapist. So I feel like I'm kind of surrounded by it in some ways. We still have this ADP couples therapist that we work with every other week. And then I have my own individual therapist and it's been profound for me. Um, it's completely transformed my relationship with Marcus and uh, on, on a personal level, I have felt a sense of security in myself and in my relationships, my intimate relationships, my close relationships that I never thought was possible. I actually don't even know that I knew that kind of security existed. That's awesome. So is is the, is the therapy for couples, how does that differ or how does that differ from the therapy for individuals? Um, The approach is very similar. The, the basics of the approach are very similar in that we're still tracking moment to moment experience and we're still tracking emotions very closely. But the cool thing about HP for couples is that as the therapist, I, I get to sort of facilitate the, um, the other couple member, um, engaging with their own response to whichever couple member is having some emotion come up. I know that that gets confusing when we're talking about couples, but um, being able to um, witness, I guess maybe I'll use my own relationship because that's, it it can be most straightforward that way. So in my own, in my own couples work with Marcus, one of us might have a particularly strong emotion or a feeling that comes up in the session and it will kind of lead us down a whole pathway the way that we had talked about a few minutes ago. And, he will then be able to, to witness and be present and be connected to whatever I am um, processing. And for me to have him have his own emotional response and for him to be really present with me and to be listening in a really intent way as I'm processing something or as I'm feeling some intense emotion is something that we didn't really know how to do on our own as a couple and it's, it's sort of facilitated for us in a couple session, which creates this bond and connection that in that is kind of what was the level of security that I hadn't really had before. I don't think I even knew how to feel my feelings so fully and so intensely with another person. And um, our, our therapist sort of helps us do that for each other, which we then can bring into our life outside of the therapy session. And that creates a, a life that really feels different than if we're not really traveling emotionally or not really going through the emotional ups and downs of life with each other the way that we do. That's awesome. And that really brings up something for me that was so salient over this last uh, couple of weeks over the mastermind. We really, opened up the container of the mastermind is in a way like it wasn't explicitly like, Oh, this is a safe space, but 
you know, something that we all did to open up the container, it really created a safe space for people to be vulnerable and, ex- and feel safe to experience intense emotions in front of other people that were mostly strangers up until, you know, we, we all got on a boat together and uh, headed off to this uh, remote area. And I'm curious for you, what has your practitioner done in the couples therapy with you and Marcus that creates that safe space? Or what even has Marcus done to create that safe space for you to feel those intense emotions in a session? There's a quality of, um, of presence that I think Marcus and I have learned to provide for each other where we're I'm trying, I guess I'm trying to put it into language because it's something I, I feel, but it's hard to identify what it is. But there's a certain way that we will um, use our body language where we're, we're facing each other. We might even be like touching hands or like his hand might be on my leg or like my hand might be on his foot or like there's some physical contact and there's eye contact and there's facing each other, which is something that, that most ADHD therapists for couples will have their clients face each other very early on when, once they start working together and not all couple therapists will do that. Um, that's something that's been really fundamental um, for me is, is uh, physically settling myself in order to both listen and be with him and also to connect enough with myself to share with him authentically. Those are just some of the, like the physical the physical ways that we've kind of learned how to be present for each other. Mm, got it. And for you, I mean, I think that there's something almost implicit about a therapist and client relationship where it should be a safe space because like you can't talk about what's being talked about in the session because you're bound by that oath. But I'm curious what you do if you're working with an individual to make them feel safe to experience those emotions and go on that journey with you because it's a very vulnerable thing. Yeah, absolutely. And the the first thing that came to mind when you asked that just now is taking the pressure of time off of somebody can be really profound. And this is something that I think about a lot when I think about, you know, being a kid and how often I felt rushed. Like I felt like I had to like finish up what I was doing so you could get out the door to school or to like rush through my meal or to rush through what I was saying before my brother jumped in and wanted to say what he was saying or like all the different like subtle ways that I felt rushed as a kid. And to, and that's something that I like to do with my clients is to, if I start to sense that there are any red light signals from my client where they're maybe not feeling safe, they're starting to feel anxious, they're starting to um, feel like, mm, you know, maybe I don't really feel comfortable talking about this or going down this road. I will slow down, I'll just stop the action immediately and say, let's, let's take a moment here. Let's really slow this down. I want to, I want to be right here with you with what's happening. Can you, can you put your feet on the ground and really feel the, feel the ground under your feet right now? And then I pause and I wait for them to do that. How is that? How is it to feel the ground right under your feet if you push your heels into the ground? And they kind of connect with that. So we've kind of like stopped whatever action was happening before, whatever was like bringing up that red light signaling. We've, we've, we've taken a break from that. So we're kind of taking the pressure off of that. And I might say something like, let's go really slow with this. I don't want to miss anything that's going on with you. Let's really take this moment by moment. How are you doing right now? What do you notice? 
So we really kind of take a few steps back, which can, and then as soon as I start getting some like green light signals again, like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling a bit better. Like, okay, my heart rate is slowing down. Okay. I can feel the ground under my feet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what was I saying about whatever it was? And the person might even like go back to what they were saying, or they might remember, they might even jump a few steps ahead if they're really, they were really able to kind of reground and, and feel the connection with me. Um, they may even like jump ahead with what they've been saying before and go back to it. So all of these are kind of green light signals that are telling me, okay, we're, we're back in a, in a, in a safe zone. The other thing that has helped me both as a client and that I do with my clients is to check out how we, how the relationship is. How are you doing with me right now? Are you feeling me with you? Yeah, no. Or what, you know, I just wait to hear whatever they say, or, you know, I was worried about what you were thinking when I said this. Okay. Yeah. Let's go back to that. Well, tell me what you were wondering about. Tell me what you're, what's your, what do you want to know about what I was thinking? So maybe there's something that we have to kind of uh, address relationally before we can move forward with whatever we were talking about before. So we slow it down enough to get enough information to know what's next. What do we need to look at before we can keep going? And that, that definitely brings up some curiosity in me around, you mentioned that like within the session, you need to help them take what's in the session and bring it out into their life. And I'm curious, it's definitely something where feeling and emotion, especially in a tense emotion uh, in front of other people is a vulnerable thing. I'm curious, like you've got these great verbal commands, like let's get your feet on the ground and slow things down. Is there anything that you would have a client do who doesn't feel like they've got a safe space in public to experience an emotion, but you want them to build that awareness and you want them to feel into things um, outside of the session. Like how, how might you recommend somebody create that space for themselves to do so? Yeah. I love that question. It's such an, it's such an important question. So one of the, one of the ways that I like to start cultivating some safety outside of the session room is to have have the person start developing a relationship between their adult self and their kid self. And it's normally our kid selves that are, there's some variation with this, but it's normally, it's often our kid selves that are um, kind of running the show or taking over when we start to feel really scared or uncomfortable or vulnerable or, um, or afraid about what might be coming up. And for one of the one of my primary goals with every client that I work with is I is to undo whatever aloneness that they've had with their intense emotions. And so when they're out in the in the world feeling an intense emotion, <clears throat> I want them to feel like they are accompanied, not just by me psychically, but that they're accompanied by um, uh, an older grounded, stable adult self that can be with that kid self who maybe didn't have someone to accompany them with feelings that were overwhelming when they were a kid. So we start to kind of cultivate that in the session is a a relationship between adult you and kid you. And once that starts to kind of get more comfortable, because it can feel a little awkward or a little weird or a little like just hard to even know what that means. But over time, people start to actually have a feeling for the the kid that is still kind of living in them. And 
once that starts to happen, when they're on, on the outside or when they're outside of a session, there might be moments where they start to notice, oh, there's that little kid who tends to feel scared when she's in traffic or tends to feel scared when she has to walk into a, a group of people she doesn't know. And that, that person might then say, okay, well, my little kid self is, is on board online right now. She, she needs this adult me to come in and say, hey, honey, how, how you doing? Can I walk into this social situation with you? And to start cultivating that practice of even if I'm, you know, walking into the social situation alone, I can conjure up in my head this older, wiser, protective, loving, nurturing adult me who can kind of who can walk in with me and hold my hand even and talk to me if I happen to be, you know, alone, not talking to anybody, starting to feel nervous. Yeah, oh, I love that. Um, are you familiar with Bill Plotkin at all? Plotkin. That name sounds familiar, but I, I'm, I'm not placing it. Who, what is he? Who is he? Yeah. So he's written a few books. He really kind of takes like a nature based perspective on psychology. And I'm reading one of his books right now called Wild Mind. And the big concept is he kind of takes this nature based map of the psyche, but uh, one of the cool things is that he talks about the process of healing and holding. So holding is essentially, uh, you're creating the, the re- or building up the fast, the resources of the different facets of the self. So like in the directional map, the North facet of the self would be the nurturing generative adult as you're talking about. Whereas the, um, the kind of child or like scared child archetype, um, of the immature North self would be like the, the scared child or the, the inner critic and, um, you know, the, the one that wants to kind of isolate you. Um, and so his process is about healing that subpersonality or that archetype that was created from childhood traumas by using the whole facet of the self. So the nurturing generative adult to make that, uh, subpersonality or that child archetype feel safe. And, uh, it just, it, it really kind of resonated with me because I'm reading this book right now and it, it sounds very, like a very similar approach. Yes, it sounds so similar. Yeah, it's really the same, the same concept. The other way that we hear this kind of coming up in more like pop culture is it's kind of like it's about cultivating the, your internal relationship or cultivating um, a sense of self. That's, it's sort of like the more, um, the less esoteric way to, to think about it. Learning how to track yourself and take care of yourself, essentially. He sounds really interesting. I got to check out that book. Yeah, he's uh, he's got some interesting perspectives for sure. Uh, a good friend of mine who does some young men's rites of passage work is um, is a really big fan of his writing. So uh, I've been helping out with his rites of passage organization. So I figured I would uh, dive into the texts that have uh, inspired him to do the work he's doing. Yeah, well, you're inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I'm curious too. You you mentioned on Mizba's podcast that, and you just mentioned it here that like a big mission of yours is to help people feel less alone. And a lot of people go through their adult life with this aloneness. And I, I'm curious what what some of the things like how do you see that manifest? And what are some of the ways that you help people heal that? Yeah, when I think about all of the different things that. I'm doing right now and that are interesting to me and they're kind of capturing my creative attention. They're all related to connection. And 
also when I'm just like, you know, reading the news and tracking some of the things that are happening in current events, my mind immediately goes to there's just so there's such a pervasive cultural aloneness right now that I mean, it almost like makes me want to cry just thinking of it, thinking of it, like thinking of the school shootings and um, even like the even the the Me Too movement and how there's so many parts of ourselves that we kind of split off from and disconnect from. And then they kind of come out in these like shadow behaviors, you know, like, like the shooting or like sexual assault or, you know, these, these cultural problems that we're talking about and that we're facing. And I I feel like so passionate about this on so many levels because of how, far reaching i feel like this issue is that we are so many people feel fundamentally alone and unsure about how to how to feel and process their feelings and i i truly feel like and i think about this when i'm with my clients i truly feel like if each of us could feel a little bit less alone in our lives there's so much violence that wouldn't happen. And there's just so much we would be capable of as a, as a community to heal and to just be kind of good, good, a a good, healthy society. I don't know if that sounds like cheesy or really out there, but I, I truly feel that way. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I really see that a lot. Um, Not only with myself, but, uh, I've been sitting with a bunch of men's circles doing a lot of men's work recently. And, um, you know, I really think that healing the masculine is going to allow us to, uh, really heal a lot of the problems in the world. And we, one of the, one of the, um, the practices that we engaged in in a men's circle at this mentorship or at this uh, mastermind is we, we went around and we had the circle where it was like, if you really knew me, that's, that was the prompt. Like if you really knew me and it was the opportunity for men to release into the fire that we were sitting around something that we hadn't told anybody or that was weighing really heavily on us. And the interesting thing is as men were going around and divulging these things that they thought that they were alone in experiencing, we really took the time and the facilitator took the time to ask who else has, you know, experienced, you know, this thing or who else has, you know, experienced it. And almost overwhelmingly out of a group of about 45, 50 of us, you would see that at least five men were raising their hand and it experienced the same thing that somebody else felt alone in experiencing. And that, yeah, and that was just so powerful to, to see that you're not alone. And I know for me personally, I grew up in a pretty, pretty conservative and wealthy area in New Jersey and everybody was always projecting strength, including my parents and my family, where like when you felt these feelings of depression, you felt alone because you were always kind of hearing like, oh, there's starving kids in Africa. What do you have to be sad about? You're privileged, all this. And when you would feel these feelings of depression and everybody looked like they were projecting strength, I felt alone. And it wasn't until I opened up to finally like was on the edge and opened up to my mother about this that, you know, she opened up to me about all the times that she had felt those things. And um, finally, to, to really see that somebody else had that shared experience with me, it really released a lot of the weight of it to know that I wasn't alone in experiencing it. And if I really needed to, that there were other humans that I could connect with on it and, and heal it. 
So I, I think it's amazing that that's, that's really the big overarching thing that you see and are, are working to heal. I just want to respect that. Wow. Yeah. God, I love that you had that experience fairly early on. It sounds like with your mom and also that you're so focused on healing the masculine right now. I feel like that is so revolutionary and exciting for me to hear from a man that you're sort of taking responsibility for your own healing of masculine energy, which I, I, I feel like is a huge part of, of what we're talking about. It's, I have such tremendous empathy for men culturally right now. It's, it's not an easy time to be male and to be a boy. And I feel like there's this huge cultural responsibility we have to really help boys and men learn what it, what it is to kind of embrace their masculinity and their femininity energetically. And it's, I, I love that you are doing that work on yourself and that you're talking about it out loud on a podcast. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super important. I've, it was so inspirational over this last week to just be connected with so many men who, who were able to talk about that. And a lot, you know, a lot of these men that I was with, like all have a platform to share these messages. And I think we were all, or I know we were all very inspired to, to share these messages and do this work. And just, you know, how many men I see now really, really doing this work. It's, it's inspirational. So I think that there's going to be a ripple effect. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the cool things that um, you and Mizba have both talked about uh, a good amount that I want to dive into is the idea of making the implicit explicit. Because I think another like immature masculine trait is this idea that you have to almost be stoic and um, you know only experience a narrow band of emotions. And um, it really, I think, has created an environment especially for men where it's, it's tough for us to express what we're feeling good or bad um, to somebody else in certain situations. I'm just curious from your perspective, um, you know, what does, like, how can we heal that and how can we help people be more comfortable making that emotion that they're feeling that we might think is implicit, explicit with the people in our lives that we want to connect with? Yeah. I mean, I think the place to start with that is to start with the self and, start noticing what, what are the things that are implicit or things that I know or that I sense, but that I don't say. And just to start noticing what they are before you even put some pressure on yourself to start saying those things, just noticing what they are, I think can be a huge awakening for a lot of people. Um, and starting with yourself, it, you have the most power over yourself and you have the most opportunity to choose with yourself. So starting by noticing what, what am I not saying? What am I feeling? Or what do I know that I'm not saying? And then to start looking for little inroads, maybe you pick a certain relationship that feels um, doable for you to start speaking some of these things. I mean, usually, I think most of us have something or some relationship that comes to mind first, when we think about the relationships that we want to heal. And most of the time, I think it's it's often when we give ourselves the time to think about it, we know what that thing is that's not said in that relationship or what we're feeling that we haven't expressed. So just by starting with yourself, I feel like that can start a whole um, a whole ripple effect in 
the relationships that you have and in, in the relationships that the people you're in relationship with have with others, that can start changing. Oh, I lost you again after, uh, after a relationship with others. Um, that you, by starting with yourself, starting by knowing what you're not expressing and then starting to make these little inroads in certain relationships and seeing what happens, seeing that how that affects the relationship, I think that can just start to, to ripple out because then that relationship starts to start to shift. The person you're in a relationship with starts to have a new experience of you and thus a new experience of themselves. And that starts to affect the relationships they have with other people. It can just grow from there. Yeah, that makes total sense. And that, that almost, like even for me, kind of put me at ease to hear that, like starting with yourself because oftentimes it is difficult to make that implicit explicit because you it's not something that's practiced or it's something where I think sometimes we, or at least I wait for the right time to say something. And oftentimes there isn't a right time. And, uh, it's, it's just a matter of, of getting it out there. And, uh, it, it just feels good to hear like, Oh, you know, start with the awareness, start with the self rather than jumping into the lion's den right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just, just now I have kind of like a lot of things on my, a lot of, a lot of different um, relationships and things on my mind that I eventually want to say that I know haven't been made explicit, but there's some that feel way too hard at this point. And then there are some that feel a little bit more doable. So to start noticing, well, what are the things that are on your mind that you'd like to say eventually and which ones feel more, more doable and just starting with those. And I, I want to just name the fact that it takes an enormous amount of courage and I remind myself of this every single day when I go, get into my office and I'm starting my work day is um, that I, I need to stay connected to the fact that it takes courage to, to make the implicit explicit because it's scary. It's like going against the grain. It's, it's kind of violating some of the unspoken rules in, in our relationships by doing that. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, it's so good to hear that because it sounds so comfortable. It's funny when I was talking to Mizba, I was like, oh man, like <laughs> for lack of a better term, Mizba's got balls. He'll, he'll just, uh, you know, he has no problem just making the implicit explicit, even if it's not a, a good time to do so. Um, and it seems like something that he's really well practiced with, um, especially working with clients and then to kind of hear your perspective on it, it kind of, it softens it. It really makes it seem like a thing that has less, less edge to it. Uh, which I'm really excited to be sharing with people. Um, I'm curious if there's anything else on the the topic of connection um, and relating to people that we haven't talked about yet that you think is really relevant for listeners to know. Um, let's see. Well, I guess just to go back to the topic of making the implicit explicit for a moment, I've, what I have noticed as I and started to try to implement that in my life is that there's a, it can, while it can be uncomfortable to make the implicit explicit, just to say what's, what's truly there on your mind. It's also uncomfortable not to say it. And that's, that's what I've, I've gotten has helped me a lot have to have the courage to actually say some of these things is that if I'm sitting there thinking about something or mulling over something over and over and over for days and days, weeks and weeks, maybe years and years, that is uncomfortable, maybe even more uncomfortable than just having the courage and taking the risk and just saying whatever's true. 
So it helps me to remind myself that it's not more comfortable to not say it. In fact, it's often less comfortable to not say it and to hold it inside. Yeah, totally agree with that. Cool. Well, anything else that you think is super relevant for people to know about connection and connecting to others? Um, I think it's easy to get bogged down in thinking about relationships in your life that you want to change or people around you that need to work on something or that people around you that you want to change. And I think going back to what you were, you were saying earlier about how relieving it feels to hear that you just have to start with yourself. I feel like that applies to any kind of relational work or even professional work that people are um, embarking on is to just start small, just starting with awareness. And this probably relates to your beyond macros work. I don't know if this is part of your program for people, but this is something that I do with people who are, who are working on nutrition and working on body composition goals is just starting to track what they're eating, just starting to track how they're feeling or their sleep or their hydration or to start tracking is a huge, huge, huge step. And that's something that I tell my clients who are wanting to work on relational issues is just start tracking yourself and you're going to get an enormous amount of information just by tracking how you're feeling, what you're thinking, how your how your body feels, what sensations are you experiencing, and that that's 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 not nothing. That's a huge, huge, huge step, and it's it's a wealth of information that will inform your next steps. Yeah, I totally agree. And along the lines of that that example with tracking your nutrition, it's like that's the in the group program that I have, that's the first monthly practice I have people do where every day they, they keep track and they keep a food journal. And one of the reasons I do that is because most people, I, I take them through a practice after that of essentially auditing what their habits look like. And for most people, I could get them within three habit changes maximum to being pretty much in line with the way that they should be eating. That's going to be like, you know, giving them 80% of the results. So I think too, with like that almost emotional awareness and an emotional audit, you, people who feel like they're completely broken might realize that, you know, healing two, three relationships, like whether that's to self, to a family member and to a friend, um, you know, that alone could just take this huge weight off their back. Well, yeah. I mean, that alone, just if, if every one of us just healed those three relationships so that, or, or started to attempt to heal those relationships, that's pretty revolutionary. That's pretty super. Yeah, big time. Cool. Well, is there anything you would like to say about the art of connection or like how people can find you and work with you or, you know, what you're, what you're working on right now that you're stoked about? Yeah. So, um, let's see, people can find me on, uh, at my website, megancaden.com. They can also find me on Instagram at Dr. Megan Caden. Um, and also, Ms. and I are about to launch our new podcast called The Un- Unfiltered Human. Um, and you can, f- you can get a feeling for some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about um, by downloading The Art and Science of Connection, which is our digital course on connecting. Um, so the course was designed for fitness coaches, but it really is applicable for anybody um, you know, the, some of the, some of the languages, some of the examples on the course are specifically related to uh, fitness coaches, but there's the skills are so relevant and so applicable to somebody in absolutely any field. And particularly if you work with work with people closely, or if you have personal relationships that you're looking to improve or to feel deeper connection, 
those skills are really helpful. I just want to give a huge thanks to Dr. Megan Caden for the conversation. The Unfiltered Human podcast that she referenced just launched this week, and you can download it wherever podcasts are found. I also thoroughly enjoy the insights she posts on her Instagram account at Dr. Megan Caden. Next week, I'm bringing you a solo episode about creatine. It is a supplement that I've been getting asked about on an almost weekly basis. Is it really effective? Is it going to destroy your kidneys? And is creatine gum really the most effective delivery method? I will answer all of those questions and more, and we'll even dive into its potential uses as a nootropic in next week's show. I've also got some incredible guests in the pipeline, so you will want to make sure you are subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also be super grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes and share these shows with anyone you think can benefit from them. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again next week.